Sanhedrin that had taken uh, Peter and John. And uh, they had pretty well said, guys, you need to quit doing what you're doing. And it's interesting that with boldness, Peter begins to preach and he sees a lot of people saved and he even stands before the Sanhedrin and basically tells them, I'm going to keep on preaching, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm supposed to do. And I like what it says in verse number 13, that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It's interesting to me that so often we put our our emphasis on maybe our education or our upbringing, maybe the people that we associate with or the churches that we associate with. But notice in verse 13, it doesn't say that they took notice that Peter and John were Baptists. It doesn't say that they took notice that Peter and John had gone to such and such Bible college. It doesn't say that they took notice that Peter and John were associated with a particular group of the apostles that were this, this type of thinking. But it says that what they took notice of was that they had been with Jesus. And I, I'm, I'm all thankful for, for brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful for other circles and groups of churches that are like-minded and are like faith and can encourage us in the faith. But can I tell you this, we must not get into this mindset that that is the important thing, that we stay associated and fellowshipping with them. The most important thing of our life is that we be with Jesus. And I'm thankful for the the, the brothers and sisters that so help us and, and motivate us and encourage us. I'm thankful for the churches that so motivate us. I'm thankful for Keith Heights Baptist Church. But I said it in the prayer, and I mean this, if we leave here today thinking, boy, that was a great message Brother Greg preached, then I failed. If we leave here today thinking, boy, it was great fellowship and a great time and a great meal and all this stuff that we look at that was great, and we don't leave here thinking, what a great God we have, then we failed this morning. Because it's not about our church. It's not about who we associate with or fellowship with. It's not about who our pastor is or our deacons are or our our Sunday school teachers or bus workers are. It's not about the the group of, of people in the country that we associate with. It's about Jesus. They took notice that they had been with Jesus. I want us to notice a few things about this this morning as we get to verse number 8. If you will, look with me. They took these men, Peter and John, and they told them, they said, we're going to, uh, tell you, we're going to tell you you can't preach anymore. And notice it says, and they said, uh, you know, by whose name are you doing this? And verse number 8, I like this. It says, then Peter, <laughs> I'm going to just stop there for a minute. Let's talk about Peter for a minute, can we? I, I would have to look at Peter and say that he is certainly one of the inner circle of Christ, but probably the one that had more faults than most of the other <laughs> the other disciples, as far as his character, uh, as far as the way he just did things. He, he, just, he was a rough, crude fellow, wasn't he? he? He was one of these guys that would speak before he fought. And uh, even, even when they were in the upper room and the Lord Jesus said that uh, one of you is going to deny me tonight before the cock crows three times, and Peter said, nor not me. Even to death, I'm not going to deny you. And yet, which one of the disciples denied him? It was Peter. Peter kept getting them into messes all over the place, didn't he? If, if anything is encouraging in this passage to me, it's that the Bible tells us in verse number 8, then Peter. 
Because I want you to notice that Peter understands this. And, and it would do us well, because if we read this passage, sometimes I think maybe we'll get in our minds how great of a Christian this Peter was. I'm not saying he wasn't a great Christian, but, but the emphasis of this passage is not on Peter. And even Peter understands this. Peter knows that the things that are happening here and the boldness that he has for Christ is not him. Because it tells us in verse number 8, Then Peter, filled with what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you this? I don't care how faulty our, our character is, our life is. When we get in touch with God and we surrender our hearts to God and we allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign and free control in our lives, God can take somebody that's very um, very uh, uh, introvertish, maybe even very uh, crass in their, in their temperament, maybe even sometimes abrasive in some areas. He can take even those type of people and he can do something extraordinary through them. He takes Peter, of all the disciples that he had to choose from. If it had been me, if I had been Jesus, I would have chosen John. I love John. I mean, John, John is so humble and meek of spirit that even when he wrote of himself in Scripture, he would not refer to himself by name. He would always refer to that other disciple or the disciple that Christ loved. He would never even use his own name in the spirit of humility. It's interesting to me. And John was one of the ones that loved Christ. He was the one that leaned upon Christ's breast. And John, if it had been me, if I had been Christ, I would have been like, boy, Peter, you create too much of a mess. I'm going to use John in this area. But God uses Peter. And that encourages me because I want to tell you right now, I feel like sometimes, a lot of times, I'm like Peter. But it says that Peter, not of himself, and I think this is why God does this so often. The Bible says that He chooses the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God doesn't always use the most talented. He doesn't always, now, sometimes He does. But He doesn't always. Oftentimes He finds the one that's just simply willing. Saying, Lord, here am I. And God fills them with the Holy Ghost and does a work in their heart. And uses them in an extraordinary way. I want us to look first of all at this messenger here. We find Peter who's a flawed man. And the truth of the matter is if we went around the room today, we'd have to all say, I'm a flawed person. I have flaws. I have, I have imperfections. I have times that I don't, I'm not proud of. I have times that I don't serve the Lord the way that I should. I have times that I don't think of the Lord the way I should. I don't pray to the Lord the way I should. There are times that we think, boy, I just have failed God. And so God, but, but he was a willing spirit, wasn't he? Peter was willing. In fact, he was, charging, he was charging as hard as he could to serve the Lord. After all that God had done for him. I can't help but think this. God is such an amazing God, isn't He? When, when, Peter, uh, when Jesus rose from the dead and met Mary in the garden, He told, him, he said, uh, he told her, He said, I, I want you to tell the disciples and Peter, and I love that phrase, and Peter, because He wanted to make certain could you imagine how Peter must have felt after Christ died and his in his uh, his denying Christ three times? How ashamed he would have been! If I had been Peter and I heard that Christ rose from the dead, I don't know that I would have run to try to find him. I, and I mean that seriously. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Would that not be our? There were times I did things to, uh, that my mom I knew was not right with my mom and dad, and I didn't go running to him. There were times I just wanted to stay away from them. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to get chewed out for it. 
And oh, the ever-loving heart of the Savior raises from the dead. And he tells Mary, tell my disciples and Peter. I love that. He comes to Peter along the seashore after feeding them some fish, he and the disciples. And he asked Peter, he says, Lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said, Go feed my sheep. And Jesus asked him a second time, said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Yea, Lord. He said, Go feed my lambs. And Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? I read that passage for a number of years and never caught this. The Bible says that Peter was grieved. It doesn't say that he was grieved because he didn't, Christ didn't believe him when he said, Yea, Lord, I believe, I love you. The Bible says it grieved him because he asked him the third time. I got to thinking on that one day and I thought, isn't that just like the Savior? Three times Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next time he meets with Peter and is alone with him, he gives Peter three opportunities to say, Yea, Lord, I love Thee. What a Savior. And so God takes this imperfect Peter. The Bible tells us here that He fills him with the Holy Ghost. Peter knows it's not him. Peter, Peter at this point has learned it is not him. Peter's tried to walk on the water, hadn't he? And when he got away from the Lord and took his eyes off the Lord, he failed. Hey, Peter's learned enough, I think, at this point in his life, as hard-headed as he was, I think he's learned enough at this point to realize that anything that happens for the cause of Christ is not because of him, but because of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in verse number 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. I want you to notice the message here as we get down to verse number 10. This is Peter. Now, this is unlearned, ignorant fisherman Peter, who probably didn't have hardly any education, if any at all. He gets up in front of these Pharisees and these Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all of these wise, wise men. The high priests are there. These well-educated men are there. And he gets up there and they, they said, By whose name are you doing this? And so he begins to tell them. In verse number 10, he says, Be it known unto you all and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you all. Peter didn't say, By my great preaching. Peter didn't say, By my great uh, working and serving the Lord. By my great sacrifice. Peter says, listen, I'm going to tell you what the message is. The message is Christ. He said, it's not me. It's not John. If you're asking if we did it, no, we didn't do it. Christ did it. Look with me, if you will, over to verse number 12 of chapter 3 for a moment. We're going to come right back to chapter 4. But this is Peter preaching. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this, and why look ye earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Peter says, it wasn't us. He said, why are you looking at us this way? He goes on to say, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of, the fa of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him into the presence of Pilate, 
when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And ye killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses in His name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong, whom ye hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that, you know, uh, that through ignorance ye did it, as ye did also your as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Peter knew this wasn't him, didn't he? When it came to the message, he didn't preach Peter and John. I don't know how many times I hear preachers get up in the pulpit and they preach about all the great things their ministry has done and all the great things they've done in the past in their ministry and this great preacher that mentored them and what he has done. Can I tell you this? We just need to preach Christ again. We need to make sure that men and women and even in our churches and the pews of our churches understand that if anything is going to be done, it's going to be done through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be done because Greg Boer is the pastor at Keith Heights Baptist Church. I can guarantee you that. I know Greg Boer well enough to know that that's not going to happen here. But if God's going to do something, then He'll do it. And we've got to point men to Him. We've got to keep our hearts and minds focused upon Him. Verse number 10, he raises of chapter number 4, Peter, in, in front of all of these learned men, these men of well-renown, these men of, uh, of high accolades and these religious leaders. He gets up boldly as an unlearned fisherman and says, listen, here's how it happened. Jesus of Nazareth did it. He said, this is the stone which is said not of you builders, but has become the head of the corner. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. He said, you guys meant for him to be just kind of kind of pushed, pushed by the wayside and forgotten. He, to be discarded. Ephesians chapter number 2. I want you to notice something here. Verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now I want you to notice, because of Jesus' willingness to be obedient to his Father, to submit himself to the death of the cross, because of that, the Bible says, Wherefore, verse number 9, God also hath what? Hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above most names. Every name. That's exactly right. My Bible doesn't say most names. He's given a name which is above every name. The psalmist said, God hath exalted His Word above His name. And His name is highly exalted. It's above every name. Notice that this name is so high that at the name of Jesus, verse number 10, every knee. Do we see that? Every knee. I met a, I met a fellow just two days ago. He said he, he, he had heard about me. Somebody that was a mutual friend had already talked to him about me. And he said, man, I've been wanting to meet you. He said, I, I've, I've been saved and born again. But he said, I used to be an atheist and a Buddhist. And I thought, you know, if this man had, had met Christ, 
If Christ had come again while, during the time that he was an atheist and said, I don't even believe there is a God, guess what? His knee would have still bowed. He, he now rejoices that he's saved and on his way to heaven. We had a great time fellowshipping together the other day. <coughs> and he was rejoicing in that fact. But can I tell you this? I don't care how strong of an agnostic or an atheist that there is out there. I don't care how many people there are that are looking at science and saying they deny God, that there is no God. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This is the name that God exalted Jesus to. Given Him a name which is above every name. Can I tell you this? If God exalted the Lord Jesus Christ in that way, why should you and I do anything less? We ought always be exalting Him. This stone, in verse number 11 of chapter 4 of Acts, this stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. God exalted Him. And now the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that He is the head of the church. I'll tell you what, I'm excited that, that this church has a head here and it's not Greg Boer. Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad of that. I'm glad it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad when we preach a message, we don't come up with something that, that Brother Greg thinks is a great message. We come to God's Word and we say we want to preach something from God's Word. I want to find out what God's thoughts are. I want to know what His mindset is on this. I want to learn what He tells me to do with my life. I want to learn how I'm supposed to be saved through it if I'm not saved. I want to know these things. And so I don't come with a book that I've written, or I don't come with a, a things that I think of. I come with the Bible, the Word of God, and say, listen, this is what God's told us. Because people need to hear from Him. Neither is there salvation. This was the conclusion of the matter. Peter, unlearned, ignorant, fisherman Peter, stands up to these men that are the religious leaders of the day, the men that are studied, that know the Scripture by heart. They know Old Testament Scriptures well. And he preaches to them. Could you imagine the audacity of that? That's like, that's like the freshman in Bible college trying to tell the college professor something about the Bible that he doesn't know. You look at him and say, it ought to be the other way around. But Peter gets up filled with the Holy Ghost, and he makes this statement in verse 12, which I love, to the religious leaders of the day. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. He's telling these religious rulers, listen, fellas, if you don't come through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be saved. You're going to be lost. He's preaching to the choir here. He's preaching to the religious leaders. He's preaching to the high priests. <clears throat> Can I tell you that's boldness? <laughs> that's boldness. Now notice what verse 13 says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There were three things that these men knew about Peter. Number one, they knew that he was an unlearned and ignorant man. The Bible tells us that. Number two, 
they knew that he spoke with boldness. We would look at that as Christians and say he spoke with the power of God. They looked at it and recognized his boldness. And you know the third thing they knew about Peter? And I love this the best. They knew that he was an ignorant, unlearned man. They knew that he spoke with boldness. And they knew that he had been with Jesus. When people meet me, and when people meet you, what do they know? What do they know? Look with me in verse 32 and we'll be done. Peter and John continue to preach even though they've been told not to. Continue to do what they were told to do. And I love this in verse 32. The Bible says, And the multitude, isn't that amazing? The multitude of them believe, that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. The Holy Ghost was on them. And of one accord, those that had believed joined in with Peter and with John and began to do the work that God had called them to do. I wonder if it could be said of you and I, He's been with Jesus. I I wish when people met me that they could look at things in my life and say, there's a guy that's been with Jesus. I wonder what people know about us. They knew Peter was ignorant and unlearned. They knew that. They knew that he spake with boldness. And they knew that he had been with Jesus. What do people know about you this morning? You say, well, Brother Greg, I I don't want to just put on an outside front. Well, then we better be with Jesus. I've shared so often the story of Charles Weigel, the fellow who wrote the song, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. Went to Pasadena, California a number of years ago and was preaching in a conference there. And uh, in the afternoon they had a break in the schedule, and he wanted to see those world-famous rose gardens. I mean, Pasadena's where they have the Rose Bowl every year, and all these roses that are literally are world-famous over in Pasadena, California. And he wanted to go see these gardens. And uh, so he went and spent the afternoon touring the gardens and seeing all the beautiful roses that were there. He went back to the service that night, and as he came into the building, many of the folks began to ask him, said, how did you enjoy the gardens? He was puzzled. He thought, well, somebody must have found out where I was going and told people I was going to go visit the gardens this afternoon. And after about the fourth or fifth person that asked him that, he said, how is it that you know of my affairs this afternoon? And they said, well, that's easy. The fragrance of the roses still lingers. I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if the fragrance of the presence of Christ would still linger? 
that when people came in contact with you and I, they would take note that we had been with Jesus. Let's not make the Christian life all about ourselves. It's not about us. It's all about Him. Let's not make Keith Heights Baptist Church about having a great church or having great fellowship. And I love the meals here, ladies. I do. But it's not about the meals. I could give up the meals for Jesus. I really could. All that we would put Him first. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. I pray that You would help us to live in such a way, being filled with the Holy Ghost, having our hearts yielded, our lives yielded to You, having the time that we spend with You and to have Your presence with us each and every day, that people, when they come in contact with, would be drawn to You, they weren't, they weren't noticing how, how great Peter was. They weren't noticing all of his talents and his faithfulness even. They were noticing the Savior that, they had been, that he had been in the presence of. And Lord, I pray that when people come in contact with me, and when people come in contact with folks in this church, that they realize the great Savior that we have. That we live in such a way that we point men to you that they take note that we've been with You. I pray that You bless the invitation and use it as You would see fit. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know You as Savior, they don't know if they were to die that they would go to heaven, Lord, may they get that matter settled today. For Christians, I pray today, Lord, help us to yield ourselves, to give ourselves wholly to You, not to hold anything back. Bless the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano and organ play through just a verse or two of invitation time. If God's spoken to you, would you come this morning? If you need to pray in your seats, that's fine as well. The altars are open here if you'd like to come forward. If you need someone to pray with you, we'd be glad to pray with you.
Father, as we dismiss in prayer, we pray that you would bless and keep the messages both from the 11 o'clock hour and the Sunday school hour upon our hearts and our minds, the things that we have learned from your word today, Lord, how precious they have been. I pray that they will stir our hearts, help us to become more of what we ought to be. And Lord, as we leave here, may we love you more. May we be drawn closer to you. Bless the time of fellowship and the time of food. And thank you for providing the food and allowing us to meet together. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.